It is our joy to be with you, to come into your living room or wherever you are. We just had to like smell good and put all the good clothes on and stuff like that that you may not have had to do today, but we're glad to be together. I want to, as we begin, just to ask you a question. What is your one thing? What is that thing that you yearn for, that you long for? Has there been a time in the past where there was just this one thing that you could not get out of your head, out of your mind, that you, you longed for it in an incredible way? Whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. For some, you might be longing for, looking for retirement. For others, it may be something bad, like alcohol. For some, it might be toilet paper. Whatever it is, whether it is something that would lead to your demise or to your success, that one thing that you long for, that you yearn for, I want just to key in on that for a moment as we look at this one thing that King David, he longed for. We're going to look at Psalm 27 this morning if you would open your Bibles, or you can perhaps stare at the screen behind me as we hear the word of the Lord this morning. The Bible says in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, O Lord, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me. Breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we join our hearts together this morning. Lord, go before us. And as we've gathered already in just worshiping you. 
Lord, we worship you with these words of truth. And we long for you. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. Convict us, convince us, encourage us. Whatever it is that you know we need, we pray that you would do that in us today. And Lord, though we are separated from one another, we could not be any closer to you if we run to you. And so, Lord, be our teacher. Lead us in Christ's name. Amen. I want to share with you this one thing that had captured my heart and my life for, for a while. In 2002, I began to have this, this kind of strange desire, if you will, that I wanted land. And if you know my story, I was in the middle of Portsmouth, Virginia. And the vast amount of land that I was the baron over was one-third of one acre. And in that one-third of one acre, in my mind, I had tons of things like chickens and bees and all of this stuff. This garden that was pretty expansive for one-third of one acre. But I longed for land. I wanted land in the boonies where... I could spread out and do the things that I wanted to do. But it was more than that for me in my heart. I believed that this was something that was, was taking over my life in, in one kind of way. And I prayed that God change my desire if you want my desire to be changed. I don't want to, to lust after this land. I don't want this land to consume me. But yet... This longing stayed. And so I began to squirrel away money in what I call a land fund. And this land fund started with like a hundred bucks that, that I had amassed. And of course, a hundred bucks does not buy a whole lot of land. And so I began to save. And every penny, every extra dime would go into this land fund and, until I began to mow lawns on my day off and I would throw these dollars into this land fund and, and I wanted this land and then last May I was able to buy this land and stop mowing lawns and my point is is I longed for this land in a way that I believe that King David longed for something far better. And I want to take you on a journey, if you would go with me, to look at his story. And first, he just, he lays it out. He gives the brutal assessment. He tells us exactly what his life was like. And so here's the brutal assessment of David. In this passage, we see that he saw devastation. In verse 10, even his father and mother forsook him. He was devastated. He saw desertion. And he saw that he saw danger. He saw all of these things in verse 2. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. When my enemies and my foes attack me, 
Picture that. A little context here. David has been anointed as king. Though he is not yet king. David has the promise of the kingdom. But he does not yet have any of the privileges of the kingdom. And the one who does, King Saul, is no fan of David. And so he's sending people after him, and he is pursuing him himself. David's on the run. If you've been going with us through the reading through the Bible, you see that David goes through this at least two times. One when he's running from, from King Saul, and another later when his son Absalom is trying to usurp the kingdom. And so David knows a little bit about devastation, desertion, and danger. And as he runs, the background of this particular psalm, I believe, is 1 Samuel 21 and 22, when he's on the run from King Saul. And so it's kind of like if you ever have watched Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote is King Saul. David is a roadrunner, and he's always on the go. And so King Saul, the coyote, he is trying to figure out another way to get him. He plans. He tries to pin him to the wall in his house. He has his people and him looking for him and trying to find him in all of these ways. And one by one, they fail. One by one, we see that, that King Saul is not a marksman with the spear. And we see that he is not a bloodhound to be able to sniff him out in the cave or wherever he might be. <clears throat> and so he is running for his life. But I wonder, what about you? You know, here is the brutal assessment of believers. We've seen David's story. But what about believers? Believers, what about you? We see conflict in our lives. We see in the New Testament, John 15 tells us that, that suffering is a part of life. It is a reality, especially for believers. Jesus says they hated me, they'll hate you. They came after me, they'll come after you. We see conflict in our lives. Sometimes we start it. Sometimes we just have to own up that this is our conflict that we own. We see sin in the world. We see it all around us. And even from Genesis chapter 3, even in childbirth, we see it in our work. We see it with our family and our society. All humanity has run from God. And evil is rampant. We see an adversary in Scripture. We see that, that evil is not even trying to hide. And so when we look at this, it gets personal. And I want to, to speak to you personally right now. Does it ever seem in your life does it ever seem in your suffering? Are there times in your life when the darkness simply will not lift? 
I think if you can answer yes to that question, you can identify with David, but I think also you can identify with what's coming next, what we need in this. And in this, this world, to live is to suffer. And yes, that might sound depressing. And it is depressing if you're living for this world. But don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. The Bible says concerning the wickedness of men in Genesis, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Those are strong words. This adversary is a lion. He is seeking whom he can devour. And this sin is eating us alive. And Paul says that creation cries out for redemption. We live in a radically fallen world. And so, how do you navigate such a fallen world and come out like David in verse 4 when he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. I want us to look at David's strategy. And that strategy is a singular appeal. A singular appeal. And first, look at the shock of the appeal. The shock of the appeal is that David doesn't ask first for deliverance. He is on the run. Saul has the means to kill him, the desire to kill him. But David doesn't ask first for deliverance. If it were me, I'm sure I would be asking for deliverance. I think humanity, if we speak honestly, we want out. We want a way out. We want to be taken out of this mess. And we want to be at peace. And so David's request seems crazy. Instead of safety, David asks first for God. He asks first for God. Of all the things that he could have asked for, he could have asked for Saul's death. He could have asked for his own death. He could have asked for peace, for safety, for deliverance. But he didn't. He asked first for God. And so that's the shocking part of the appeal. But look at the benefits of the appeal. The benefit is that God is absolutely sovereign. God is in control. He is just as in control in David's life as he is right now with the beer virus. With everything that's going on, God has never lost control. Not once. And so he is sovereign. No matter what happens, God is in control. But also 
God is incomparably beautiful. Can you imagine the picture of God in David's mind that would cause him to write that he wanted all the days of his life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple? So not only is God never surprised, not only is God in full control, but also he's beautiful. And something interesting here, when, when David longs for the temple, he is longing for that place in that time where God dwelled. And really that's just a shadow. For now, we have Jesus. We have the Spirit of God living in us. But David was longing for the temple, that place. And so, let's see now the relevance of the appeal. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to you where you are right now? It brings us back to that question. What is our one thing? What is that one thing that we long for that consumes us over all else? And then it drives us to ask the second question. Do we find God useful or do we find God beautiful? Do we long for God for what he can do for us or do we long for God simply for who he is? And that is the convicting thought of David. David nailed it. David got it right. And we would do well to follow David's example here. Ask yourself, do I want God? And if yes, do I want him for what he can do for me to provide for me? Or do I want to know him personally as he truly is? And so... I want us to have this one confident assertion, this one thing that we are confident of. Jesus must be our one thing. It's as simple as that. Jesus must be our one thing. We must be confident in this, that he is going to do it. We must be confident that he is going to work in our lives the way he longs to, the way he wants to, the way he has created us to be. That he is going to do it. He is not going to give up until his will is accomplished in our lives. And that gives us confidence. We obtain our one thing not based on naive predictions. But we obtain our one thing based on rock solid promises. And not promises that are based on us, but it is only a rock-solid promise if it is focused and based on God, on the rock. It's not by what we have done, but what He has done. What Jesus did on the cross gives us confidence that we can walk even though we are sinful because He died for our sin that we can walk as flawless Because he became sin for us. 
so that we could become the righteousness of God. God turned his back on Jesus on the cross so we know that he will never turn his back on us. And we can hold on to this. Even in times where our world seems to have gone crazy, God has gone nowhere. He has not lost one ounce of his beauty. He has not lost a cent of his riches. And he has not lost any of his love for you or for me. So nothing, nothing at all can keep us away from his love. Even if we try, nothing can keep us away from his love. Romans 8, 35 and following says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So even if we try, we could not make God stop loving us. Even when we don't love ourselves, even when we feel nobody loves us, nothing can separate us from His love. Which brings us to one thing. One thing. Is that one thing you long for If your one thing is not eternal, if the thing for which you long the most is not eternal, and even if you succeed, you lose. Because all of that will be gone. And we have wasted everything for nothing. And so let me, let me share with you that one thing. This God of love loves you. This God of love loved you and me so much that he went to the cross and died for our sin in our place. The sin that we deserve to die for, Christ, who has no sin, died for. He took our place. And if we believe him, if we trust Him, if we give our lives to Him and make Him that one thing in our lives, then we get Him. He controls us. He provides for us. He protects us. He leads us. And He gets the glory from our lives. That is the one thing. I want to tell you a, a story as we close. I have a dog, and his name is Rambo. Rambo is a very smart German shepherd. Rambo has, has shown how dumb he can be at times, but he's also showed great intelligence. 
Recently, I, I bought a bunch of chicks. And these, these little chickens are at my house, and they're growing up. Well, Rambo, his genetics make him long for these chickens. He wants them bad. When I have them outside in a pen, he is constantly going around and trying to find a way to get into these chickens. I put them in my shed. He tries his best to get into the shed to go in to get those chickens. And I thought, for the sake of this day, that those chickens were Rambo's one thing. The one thing that he wanted. But check this out. Something really cool happened. The way to get Rambo to stop focusing on the chickens is for me to walk away. Because the one thing that he wants more than those chickens is his master. He does not want to leave my side. And so if I walk away from the chickens, Rambo follows. And so what can we learn from a dog that has an IQ of four? If our one thing is our master, we'll follow if our one thing is to be with him no matter what. And wherever he goes, that's where we go. And the other things that shine in life is but a glance to the side. But when he moves, we move with him. Church, I want you to think about this. What is your one thing? Who is your one thing? And will we look to him when things around us are shiny, when things around us are frightening or scary or crazy or whatever it is, will we follow him no matter what? And will we follow him just to be with him? Think about that as we pray. Father, we just thank you for your greatness. We thank you for being worth giving up everything for just to be with you. And Father, my prayer is that right now that we would focus on you. That Lord, you would take Abundant Hope Baptist Church and you would help us to fall so deeply in love with you that everything else just pales and fades off in comparison. pray that you would change our heart so that we are passionate about nothing more than you. And that doing so, you would get the glory. Father, I pray for those who are, are watching and hearing right now. That Lord, even though we are distant, I pray that you would be very present. And Lord, lead listeners, lead the watchers to come to you. And Lord, whether we need to turn from our sin for the first time and acknowledge you as our Savior, then God, I pray that that's what you do. And Lord, for others who have known you 
They have lost the longing for the master and need to return to you. And stay away from the things that we have idolized, but they are not the one true king. Lord, use this moment to reign in us so that we long for you. And Lord, even during this song, I pray that you would call people from the darkness into light. And I pray that you would have your way at this time in this place, in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I just want to, to tell you how much that we miss being together with you. But I want to use this opportunity to remind you that the church has never been the building in the first place. And so let us this week do what God leads us to do. Be who God leads us to be. We can still call people to check on them. We can still, at least as long as it's legal, to go and bring people some things, dropping off something on somebody's doorstep that they might need. There's ways that we can be the body, ways that we should be the body. And so let us look for those and take those opportunities to encourage one another, to grow in Christ, and to spend time with Him. So keep these things in mind as we close our time together in prayer. Father, thank